Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsort, and today I'm talking to Erica Morales-Perez. Thanks for joining us, Erica, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Erica, tell us what's your background. We're talking today. You're you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer with not just only legal expertise. You've I was going to say you've had a proper job before, but you've got a <laughs> career before becoming a lawyer. Um, but we the reason that our preamble conversation is that we're going to have a chat around data protection and and in SMEs, how we can increase our valuation and, and what's important to us about, you know, we've got all these GDPR and data protection laws that have come in and confused a whole lot of people over the last few years. You're going to bring all that to life and, and help us to make sense of it and why it's important of how we protect our data and what we have to protect it and how and what and why and maybe. And over to you. Tell us about a bit of background and why you. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm going to talk to you about today. So I'm going to make it all nice and clear for everybody, all of the listeners here, um, on how and what they should be doing with their data. But my background, you're absolutely right. I'm a second career lawyer. So I spent 10 years in IT sales as a business manager working for corporates, actually. So I've got lots of business experience managing very big pieces of business within corporates. Um, so I've been on the other side of the table, Daryl, which uh, makes being a lawyer really interesting uh, because I have my own experience of dealing with lawyers, yep. uh, which may I say wasn't always as straightforward as I would have liked it to be. And so I very much focus in my firm on delivering legal services that, that really hit the button and really, really give clients what they need. Um, and help them in business. So both myself and all of my lawyers bring a lot of business acumen to the party, which I believe when you're advising on business law, it's really important because it's not just about law, it's about the commerciality of the law that's applicable as well. Yeah, wonderful. So yeah, well, let, let's face it, we want lawyers because they're, they're there to cover our butts and protect mm -hmm. us at all costs, aren't they? And sometimes what I think what you're saying is, Yes, that's exactly what we do, and that's exactly what we want them to do. And we want them to balance that with a bit of commercial reality, and and you know we don't want to stop deals or stop things from happening, you know, just because there's, there's a risk. We need to manage and mitigate risks, and there's you know, as business owners, there's always going to be some risk there. So we're talking about the risk of data or data. Um, what are we talking about here? Why don't we even go back a, a step and just go, look, a few years ago now, data protection, GDPR came in and, and, and you know, there's a whole lot of fear around it. And, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of like one of those things, dare I say, it has become a blanket excuse for not doing stuff. And, um, you, know, you know, just like a bit like health and safety has become and, and you get a whole lot of, well, we can't do that for health and safety. And, and you go, what specifically is the issue that's stopping you from doing that? So why don't we, in layman's terms, you know, especially for me, what is the, the essence of these data protection laws and what is it we need to protect ourselves and, and, and our clients um, and, and contacts um, data as, as well? Yeah, so, I mean, so let's go back 
quite a few years. Let's go back 30 years, um, even a little bit further. So 1998, the original piece of legislation came in to protect personal data. So it's been around a really long time. The thing was, until 2018, nobody really cared much about data. The reality is that the 2018 law of that we know as GDPR didn't change an awful lot from the 1998 piece of law. What it did change is our view and our perception of personal data and what we did with it and how we processed it as businesses. So what, what I always ask people to think about is what, what are you happy with someone doing with your data? How much of your data are you willing to freely give somebody and what will you be happy for them to do with it? And that's how we have to think about personal data processing as businesses. It is something that's absolutely essential. We do have to comply with law. And I love your analogy, your, ex your example of health and safety. I would analogize it with human rights in that, you know, they seem like a real pain in the neck, these human rights for everybody, unless you need to rely on them. And oh, my goodness, then they're super important. And then you're absolutely one million percent grateful that they exist. And data is actually very similar. We feel like we have to do a lot because we are compelled by law to do a lot. But actually, if we use it to our advantage, it can be really beneficial. And when you break it down, it's probably not as onerous as it might have seemed on the face of it. Yeah. OK. So in layman's terms, for most SME business owners and, and the, the sort of people we're talking to are those businesses that are typically in the, the 10 to 200 people to people mark. So. By, by all measures, they're small and medium businesses. Um, they've all got online accounting systems where they're collecting client and, and uh, customer data. They've, they've probably got you know, online CRM systems where they've got more customer and online da data stored online. They're, they're probably using things like uh, Outlook, Gmail, you know, an email app and, and just con collecting uh, contact records just because they're emailing backwards and forwards. Is that what we're talking about here or is there, there something bigger in the world of data that we're supposedly collecting and, and, and shouldn't be uh, saving? Well, that's a really great question. And that's the first question that I ask every single client, because what we need to know when we're as a business, as individual businesses, we need to know what data we're collecting and what we're doing with it. So, yes, we're absolutely talking about these third parties because um, I have somebody who does my payroll for me. I use a piece of accounting software. Um, I have an outsourced IT provider. All of these people are touching the data that I collect as a business. Mm -hmm. But it really starts for everybody with what are we collecting? Um, and that's who it applies to. So, I mean, we, you mentioned their businesses from 10 to, to 20, um, sorry, from 10 to 200 employees. Yeah. It actually applies to every single business, even sure. if you only have one employee. So we all yeah, collect. I only care about our, our, our market. I don't of care. Course, about of course. But yes, it absolutely applies to that, that segment of the market. Um, and in a huge way, because they will be collecting data on their employees. So we've, we've, We've cross-referenced a couple of things here already in our chat in that we've said, OK, so we're using a payroll provider. So that's processing data of my employees. Uh, and I am an employee of my business as well. So I fall into that category. And then my IT provider 
he, you know, he deals with my um, email security. So he may have access to some of my client data as well. He also hosts my SharePoint, which is where I manage all of my case files. And he backs that up for me. So again, he has some access to some personal data within those files. So it's about really holistically looking at the whole picture of what you're collecting. And of course, I mean, historically, as, as business owners, as businesses, we would have collected as much data as we possibly could, as much personal data, you know, inside leg measurements, everything, because, you know, one day we might just need it. Um, and now the law says, well, hey, hang on a second, really think about why you're collecting data, really think about what you're collecting with that purpose in mind, and only collect that. And it's really important that we're thinking about that as businesses as well, because it's very easy to take notes of, of stuff that you don't need as a business. Yeah. So, OK, so we, we, we're talking about all the day to day stuff, data that we're that we're using as business to connect with our not only our clients, but I guess we've got data of, of, of people who are just in our network and, and we may have um, acquired their the email address I'm thinking through LinkedIn as well. You connect with someone on LinkedIn. You're not necessarily a, a client, but you can now get their email address and and potentially their phone number and and what have you. And and you're now storing that data on LinkedIn effectively uh, as as your own database. So, you know, is that included? So yes and no. I mean, LinkedIn is a third party, essentially. You're not actually taking data and putting it into LinkedIn outside of your own. So so yes, it's included in so far as when you sign up to have a LinkedIn account, Daryl, you're going to input your details. You're going to input some personal information about yourself. And as you do that, you're consenting to that data being used in a certain way. Um, and obviously, you can set parameters around that application of how much you want to be seen by by which individuals. So you've got some some safety around that. So link, LinkedIn is is some is an an application, let's say, or a piece of software that makes um, things quite easy because they set it out really clearly, and you have to agree to give that information up front. Yeah. Before so you can have your account. Okay. So we're now going. We've 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 got an understanding of the, the the sort of data that's included that we need to be sensitive of and and save it and back it up and protect it and just make sure we've only got the the, the information that that we we really need and we want to use that we've acquired it legitimately and uh, and 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 what have you. Now, why is this important or how is this important when? a business owner is starting to think about exiting their business potentially, and they're going, hey, look, I want to maximize the value of my business. If they, how could this, how could they get unstuck through, and I guess primarily uh, when someone else comes snooping around and, and doing some due diligence when they reach that phase? What, what impact is it going to have on their, their valuation ultimately? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it can have an upside and it can have a downside. So as you rightly say, this all comes out in due diligence. So when you have your exit strategy and somebody comes along and says, you know, I, I, I want to buy your business, for example, um, they will look at what you are doing with data. Data is such an important and valuable piece, a, a valuable asset now within a business jigsaw that, that that's a big part of due diligence, as I'm sure you will have experienced. So what they'll do, what this, this person who or this organization who's coming to have a look around and look under the bonnet of your business, they'll look at, do you have any claims against you in relation to data? 
Have you had any subject access requests? You know, have you replied to them? Have you complied? Have you had fines? Have you had investigations? Have you had audits? And all of that, you know, depending on what the answer is to all of those questions, can negatively impact the valuation of your business. Um, conversely, however, if you're in tip-top condition in that regard, that can increase the value of your business because that data could be such an asset to the business. Um, and if you have really good structures um, and building blocks in place to ensure that you're protecting that data and using it to its maximum potential, then that can increase the, poten the potential valuation of the business as well. Okay. So, so you mentioned uh, some some big scary words there for potentially for some business owners around you know the you know compliance with the requirements being policed, um, you know audits and fines. What what would someone be fined for, or, or, or what would trigger an audit or uh, an, an audit of it, or, or how is it even policed? Yeah. Okay. So we'll take each question in turn yep. um, so but actually starting from the bottom so it's policed by in the UK it's policed by the information commissioner's office yep. the ICO and they are the regulatory authority in the UK there are local jurisdiction regulatory authorities all around the world um, and as you know some jurisdictions some um, countries have their own laws as well GDPR covers the whole of Europe and after Brexit, something that we don't talk about anymore because COVID kind of overtook it in importance, um, we, we entrenched, so we took EU GDPR and we made that UK law and we call it UK GDPR. So when we talk about GDPR, it's kind of all encompassing, but our regulator here in the UK is the ICO. They have the ability to compel businesses to do things in relation to their data, be it put a particular process in place, and indeed they can fine you. So um, a fine might be triggered because you have breached a rule in some way, a, a data protection law, um, and that might be because you've disclosed information um, and it's been unlawfully disclosed in such a way that could have been prevented and therefore you are deemed to be at fault. And unfortunately, it's not like when you commit a crime and you go to court and you are assessed on, on evidence as such. Um, and then, you you know, you might receive a, a parking fine or in the same way that you might receive a, a speeding fine that this is assessed on evidence, they, the ICO have the ability to assess the evidence that they have at their disposal in relation to any particular breach, and they can then issue the fine. And although there are some guidelines around how fines should be issued by the ICO, it's arbitrary. So there isn't a hard and fast rule that says, if you breach to this level, you'll be fined X, and if you do that, you'll be fined why. So it, it can be costly from a financial perspective, um, but reputationally, it's probably more costly. So there's there's that element to consider as well. Um, okay. And in terms of, do you want, shall I tell you about audits quickly, which was question number three? Before you do, can you give us an example of what a breach might look like? Because we can talk about breaches and, and, and I can just imagine someone sitting, listening to this and going, okay, well, yeah, there, there's some sort of random value of fine that, that, that might be applied if I breach. What would a breach look like? What, you know, 
what would I do or not do that, that constitutes a breach? Yeah, a really simple example that is very plausible for any of our businesses. And, you know, might, might I add here that even the Pentagon has been hacked. So it, it, anything is possible, sadly. There are very sophisticated um systems and organizations and sophisticated minds out there that can potentially cause damage to our businesses. So the risk is real. Um, a really simple example, small local business client of mine, um, they actually install carpets. They're a third generation carpet installers. They've got quite a sizable team. They fit within that 10 to 200 employee realm that we're talking about here phone me up one day and they say, uh, we've got a repeat client, we've installed some carpet, we're going back to do some more, we've charged them £3,000, which was the cost. Um, our email, which was, by the way, a Hotmail account um, that they use for their business, um, basically had been hacked and their client had sent the money to the hacker mm -hmm. somewhere in North Africa. Um, and they they had to take the view. The £3,000 hit wasn't a problem for them. They could sustain that from a financial perspective. But he said, Erica, if this gets out, you know, my, I'm ruined. My All my business is word of mouth. People don't want to hear that their bank information is being sent and being hacked and being accessed by these hackers. Um, so a real example. So they were hacked. But is there anything that they did or didn't do that would um, end up with a breach with them being fined by the, the ICO? So um, they didn't end up being fined by good fortune. However, there were a series of steps that they should have been taking, um, including ensuring that they had the right security measures in place for their email and when they were exchanging bank details and things like that with their clients. Yeah. So by using just a bog standard Hotmail account, that didn't provide the requisite level of security that is required by data protection laws. So the law says you've got to have the correct and adequate technical and organizational measures to fit what you're doing. And you know their Hotmail account didn't really fit the bill for that. <laughs> Because I've heard of, you know, and I'm sure we've all heard stories of being hacked and, and commercial, even commercial level emails being hacked and, 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 and uh, yeah, I don't know if they're intercepted or, or how they've done it, but I've heard of some pretty sophisticated hacks where, you know, let's say invoices have been sent and, 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 and demands of, of CFOs and what have you and, and, and payments being made uh, for imaginary services offered. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and, and I'm just trying to link between, you know, being hacked and sort of being the victim of a, of a hack and, 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 and commercial, uh, you know, being, being taken that way. And then also linking that back to, oh, my God, not only am I hacked and, and you know, the financial hit of being hacked and, you know, no one wants to give away three 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 thousand pounds. But then linking that back to going. Yes, commercially, from a business savvy perspective, I should have been operating on commercial level email accounts with with all the added protection. And I'm sure, you know, the Google, all the providers have these for, for business level accounts as opposed to just the free uh, you know, user accounts. But then on top of that, going, 
you know, having the ICO or, or, or the regulator, depending on where you are in the world, coming in, looking over your shoulder and going, hey, Sonny, we, we heard you've been hacked. We also want to have a look in and go, well, we want to you know, have a you know, kick you up the butt as well for because you should have had your house in order and you should have been looking after things properly. Is is that what we're talking about here? Because they're hacked, they they were you know, negligent in the, in the first place <clears throat> and therefore that that made that negligence means that in reality the hacker could have got in and, and found all of their data or, or got to all of their data yeah possibly. and with regards to the ico then stepping in and getting involved that usually arises out of a complaint being made right. so in this particular scenario we were able to placate the client um, and we were able to act quickly and respond quickly, and therefore it didn't result in a complaint being made to the ICO. So the ICO do not proactively police the kind of organizations that we're talking about. They tend to proactively police the bigger organizations, but where a complaint is made, they have an obligation to follow up and investigate. So okay. had this particular customer client of my clients gone and complained to the ICO, the ICO would have absolutely had to investigate and that may have resulted in a different outcome. Okay. And okay, so so if if someone is is disgruntled to the point where they go, hang on a sec, this person, you know, has used my or or put my information at risk. Or, or somehow got access to my information and used it in a way that I'm not happy with, they may put in a complaint to the ICO and they then have to, 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 to follow up commercially and do some sort of policing and then potentially issue a fine. Okay. So that's fines and policing and, and how the regulator gets involved. And I'm, you know, I assume it's similar in, in all countries uh, you know, as well as the UK. I know that they didn't start it. But what about audits? So what, what, how do they, they work? What, what's yeah, this? so audits usually take place and are carried out by our customers. So when you are signing up a new customer, so say you are a SaaS provider, for example, software as a service provider, um, and you sign up a client, you uh, have a contract with that client, and that will typically have some provisions around data. So that those data provisions will say, you're going to comply with all these laws in the provision of your SaaS service to us. Um, but also, you're giving us the right to audit you.
So even for the smallest business who has a commercial arrangement with someone is using email, you haven't got the incentive already to, to use at least a commercial grade email system. Uh, hopefully uh, you've now put the fear into them that, that that's absolutely what they should be doing. And it costs, well, it, it, it's, an, it's not a high cost to, to comply from an email perspective and, and use commercial grade systems, <clears throat> which most of them you know, operate internationally anyway. So all these commercial systems in place are pretty secure. What what other examples have you got, Erica? Around so yeah, if we're moving beyond email and and uh, you know, CRM and 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 um, finance type systems, what are the, the the typical areas where people may get caught out or or may overlook or or not consider um, it without uh, experience or knowledge? Yes. There's a couple. So it does slightly relate to CRM, um, but it's about, for example, how you market to your customers. Um, and that's a really important element of data protection, because you may know that to market to customers, you have to have their consent. It has to be explicit consent. It has to be recorded. You have to know that you've got that consent before you're marketing to them. And I, ha I have a client who um, is actually an estate agent and they had one of their individuals within their business that actually approved a mail shot for something completely unrelated to their business. It was actually in relation to a charity coffee morning. Um, and they approved this individual within the business who was not authorized to do so, approved the mail shot, which went out to 20,000 um, individual customer contacts, some of which had been what we call suppressed. So that means people who have decided that they don't want to be contacted for marketing purposes. Mm. Um, now, this isn't what I would consider a data breach as such, because the data had not been compromised. It hadn't been unlawfully shared. Um, but again, a real example. And it had been done by the individual within the organization with the best intentions, yeah. but it was the, the issue lied with the organization itself and their process because they were using a third party IT provider and the individual who was not authorized within this business gave the authorization to the external provider and the, the external provider did it. So the first thing we did was I, I advised my client, fix your process. Only somebody at director level can give that level of okay. <laughs> so and so that's what we did immediately. Um, but you know, for that for that client, the unfortunate thing was out of those twenty thousand individual contacts, two of them worked for the ICO. I mean, what are the chances? Yeah. You know, so again, stuff happens. This stuff happens in real life. Um, it's unfortunate, but it does happen. Um, and unfortunately, there's there's you know what's the harm in that in that case? It's pretty yeah. negligible, but absolutely, you know, laws of laws. could have been a lot worse. Could have been and, a lot worse. Absolutely. So so you've raised something important there. Is there any difference between businesses doing B two B or or B two C type handling of data that you know again you know the 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 average man or average person or business owner is just not aware of? Yeah, so business information is not strictly and directly caught by the act. So where you're exchanging information in the course of a business, so yeah. somebody gives you a business card, you know, you're okay to contact those individuals. When we then break it down and we're wanting to send them information at an individual level, 
then then it changes. The consumer, the individual, the data subject, all three of those descriptions are one of the same, which it relates to a natural person who has personal data. Um, they are the individuals that are affected and caught by GDPR um, and data protection law across the globe. So it's when you are conducting B2C business, the bar is much higher um, and you have to take much more care over how you approach individuals in terms of what you're marketing to them, how you process that data. So, of course, you've got a bit of a crossover here because as a business, we have these consumer individuals as employees whose data we are collecting and using and processing in the course of them being employed by us. And then we've got our business contacts as well. Um, and then potentially individuals within those business contacts as well as that. So we tend to take a blanket approach. Okay, so we've covered a fair bit of ground today and, and, and I'm just gonna try and summarize and, uh, and, and see if I've, I've captured all of the key points that you've, you've shared with us. So firstly, I think you know, the, the, the point that you've made is we need to use robust commercial grade systems because we're just dealing with customers and, and contact and yeah, it, it just makes sense to protect the data anyway because you know, it, you know, the worst case is, is yes, you'll have your, your, your reputation ruined and, and you know, that's not going to be healthy for the business. Um, but there's a very real risk of, of your systems just aren't as secure um, and, and someone can get in. So we need robust commercial grade systems. <clears throat> There's a lot for business owners to keep abreast of. Uh, mm. There's so many different laws and systems and things they just need to be aware of. So at some point they need to manage their risk and, and just make sure they surround themselves with the right sort of professionals who are proactively keeping them abreast of, of, of the risk that they need to be taken care of. We need to look at our systems and processes. We need to make sure that you know, it's another reason that we want to systemize our business um, and ensure that everyone knows what they should and shouldn't be doing and what they can and can't do and the extent of their responsibilities and, and, and ability to make choices. We, um, so so they're, they're the main ones that I see. And, and as with everything, we're, we're risking the valuation because we may, we need to know that if we don't have these these level of um, security and, and risk management in place, when we do want to exit our business, we're just vulnerable um, and and the, you know, we just won't have the opportunity to maximise the valuation of our business. So, what have I missed, Erica, or is, or is that a where we're at? <clears throat> Yeah, I think that's a great summary. Um, it, it really is an investment. Um, it's having these processes, having these systems. Everybody thinks of, of legal advice as an afterthought. You know, you come, you go to a lawyer when you've got a problem to fix. Um, I, I would say prevention is better than the cure. Prevention is the only cure, in fact. Um, and if you want to maximize your bang for your buck when you're selling your business, putting these systems and processes in place will absolutely do that. Um, looking, understanding what's under the bonnet of your business is so important. It makes you lean. It makes you mean. It will make you more money, not only whilst you're trying to achieve your business growth objectives, but at the, at the point of sale as well. Your exit plans will absolutely be maximized by having the, these things in place. That's brilliant. And add us bonus points to the lawyer giving us sound commercial uh, money revenue making advice as well. I try my hardest. I aim to please. <laughs> 
That's brilliant. <laughs> hey, look, Erica, thanks. I really do appreciate your time today and sharing your insights on uh, how we can maximize valuation of our businesses. Thank you very much.